What was that? Yeah, you're the official remnant. If we had couches instead of chairs after that exodus, you'd be able to lay down. <laughs> and I could put you to sleep very easily. That, you know. All right. As a Judeo-Christian congregation, we enjoy the celebration and understanding of the holy days from both Judaism and Christianity. The foundation of those holy days and the seasons are established in the Torah in Leviticus 23 as the appointed times of the Lord. And then beyond these, there are traditions of Judaism that have added significant days of observance related to God's faithfulness and watch care over Israel. The Christian tradition followed this by adding seasons and holy days related to the life and ministry of Jesus and themes related to the faith and teaching of the apostles. In both traditions, Judaism and Christianity have also added sub-traditions that are regional or national ethnic kind of uh, celebrations. And in some sense, there are some that are congregational in focus as well. Today we celebrate the American Judeo-Christian Holy Day of Thanksgiving. Really, uh, for me, the week begins with this week and culminates uh, with, uh, with Thanksgiving and uh, Friday and then moving into the Sabbath and the beginning of Advent. I see these, for me, as an American believer, uh, a related uh, context. Uh, it's based on the American pilgrimage of faith and the establishment of that faith in the Americas, particularly this country, and its Judeo-Christian influence and beginnings. Now, there's a lot of talk these days about what exactly happened and who helped who and what was this about. And I think that's getting the eye off the ball, though I think that's important information. Uh, what's important is that whether it is the native indigenous population that was here or the pilgrims and others who came, it is God who sustains us all. There is no no-God zone. There is no secular reality where God doesn't exist. Even though this culture practices it a lot, and the university is really a temple to secularism, uh, the reality is that in him we live and move and have our being. And there is nothing that we have that we didn't receive from God, even those who don't believe in him. That's, a, that's an amazing fact. Uh, I know that uh, Dennis Prager, I don't know if he still does it, but for many years, on Thanksgiving, he would ask non-believers, what are they thankful for and who do they give thanks to? Interesting question. There is built into this notion of thanksgiving that it is thanksgiving to God in that sense. So drawing from the legend of the early Americans and uh, the history, this date coming up commemorates a feast honoring God's provision celebrated by the pilgrims and the Native Americans that acknowledge dependence on God to provide and for men to cooperate together, because that's also part of this story. Over time, it became a national holiday, celebrated both religiously and nationally. And the national celebration acknowledges God's blessing 
on the country and the importance of family and sharing with those who are in need, even if it's not explicitly Judeo-Christian. The religious celebration is a reminder of our dependence on the God of Israel and the attitude of thanksgiving that we should have for his watch, care, and blessing over us. And this theme is directly related to a similar biblical holy day of Sukkot, where Israel remembers God's faithfulness and his provision of God in the wilderness. Their shoes didn't wear out. They were provided with manna. All of that was there. And both Sukkot and Thanksgiving are harvest festivals and have that notion of the harvest. So it really is an American echo of Sukkot uh, in in that context. And these things are clearly related in the same way that Hanukkah is also tied to Sukkot, uh, which I'll talk about another time. So this holiday called Thanksgiving is focused on giving thanks to God and sharing his goodness and testimony of his goodness with others. And so what I've done for several years uh, when it is my turn to preach on Thanksgiving is to take one of the Psalms of Thanksgiving and kind of go through it with you. So I want to do that today with Psalm 103. 22 verses. Uh, Very, very fascinating psalm. I think that the Psalms show the depth and the richness of the Scriptures because the Psalms can be read simply with their basic clear meaning. The Psalms can be read with their prophetic connections that we find echoed throughout the teaching scriptures and the prophets. The Psalms can be read as a soothing and emotional uh, hug, (laughs) if you will, to help us in that context. And the Psalms are templates of intimacy with God by prayer. I mean, you just... If all you had was the book of Psalms, you'd be okay. Now, thank God we have more than that. But they are are fantastic. So, Psalm uh, 103, the first verse begins this way. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. David begins this psalm with a statement to himself. Fascinating. Self-talk. We do that all the time. What were you thinking? Right? We do. So it's part of this process. And David says that uh, the starting place of thanksgiving is me. We must admit and we must acknowledge to ourselves that we are dependent on and subject to God. We sang counter blessings. We didn't sing count your entitlements. If you list your entitlements, you're not all that joyful. But if you list your blessings, you become joyful. There is a difference. A blessing is something that is given by grace and favor and the goodness of the giver. An entitlement is, why didn't you give it to me yesterday? I needed it yesterday, right? There's a difference in the attitude that we have. So David starts with himself and he says, Bless the Lord, O my soul, Nefesh. This Hebrew word Nefesh 
Man became a living soul is a term that means our total being. I'm not just going to bless God with my mind intellectually. I'm not just going to bless God because I feel good emotionally. I'm going to use my total being. And that involves the body. You guys all know the story of, and you probably have used it, where somebody says, are you happy? And the guy says, yeah. And says, well, tell your face. Right? In other words, there needs to be some expression of this thing. I love... Jewish prayer, that standing davening where they're praying and they're moving. And the reason they do that is the entire person is supposed to be involved in that. We close our eyes, fold our hands and, you know, turn the body off. It's all part of it. All my soul bless the Lord and all that is within me. That intellectual process, that mind, that core, that what Paul calls the inner man. All that is within me, the lead, the heart, all of that, my motivation is to bless the Lord. Because what directs the body, the inner person, right? So David says, I'm going to bless the Lord with all my soul. I'm telling my soul to do it. And all that's within me, not just part of it, all of it. This reminds me clearly of the statement in Deuteronomy. You shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your life, and with all your strength. All of us to God. Our whole person and all that we are should bless the Lord and His name. Not at Thanksgiving alone, but all the time. And frankly, I think we'd be in better shape if we were thankful more. This attitude of gratitude is something we need. Dr. Collins and I talked about this for years with our backgrounds. We could, we could be crabby about everything. Um, I see myself in context to that as, as fairly, uh, fairly joyful. Now, I'm not giddy, but I don't have an expectation that's way up here. My expectations are pretty low. And I usually express my expectations and people think I'm a pessimist. I'm not a pessimist. I'm expressing my expectations, which are low. Therefore, anything that goes above that, I'm pretty happy with. But boy, if your expectations are here and it just gets to here, you're just miserable, right? Somebody tells you your, your car will be ready tomorrow. And it's ready the next day. Beyond that, you're not happy. But if they tell you your car's ready in a week and it's ready in three days, well, you're a happy person, right? Our perspective is part of this. And so telling ourselves, be thankful, you nutcase. (laughs) Uh, Rejoice in the Lord. And again, I say rejoice, right? So now David gets, he's ready. To be thankful. So he says this. And this is my favorite, my favorite part of the, uh, the psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget none of his benefits. Who pardons all your iniquities, heals all your diseases, redeems your life from the pit, 
crowns you with loving kindness and compassion, satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is renewed like the eagle. The Lord performs righteous deeds and judgments for all those who are oppressed. Wow. Count your blessings. Name them one by one. And the list is just a partial list here. But it's an incredible list. He lists the benefits of knowing and serving God. And they are pardon for all your iniquities. I don't know about you. That's a big benefit for me. After my rebellion, I started back in ministry again. I'd get people that would come in and think that they had gone too far for God's grace to reach back out and bring them back. And I didn't want to get into it, but I said, look, if you want to trade stories, you will lose. Okay? Paul said, Christ died to save sinners of whom I am chief. There's a new chief in town. I, I know the depth of my sin because God let me see it. I know that His grace is greater than all our sin. Now, not for the purpose of saying, I was sinking deep in sin. Wee! Not going forward in it. But to turn from it and understand that there is nothing in your life that if you turn to God will separate you from it. God provides ultimate forgiveness for our sins. He's the one who heals our diseases. He's created our bodies in an amazing way that he can heal. Our bodies attempt to heal themselves in that way. And God's given wisdom to people to be able to do more than that. And ultimately, even though the state of the knowledge of that is not fully expressed in mankind, though it's amazing what they can do now versus 10 years ago, 20 years ago, 50 years ago. God has the ultimate healing by resurrection. I remember my, my dad eaten up with, with uh, strokes and heart attacks and his arm all, he hated his hand because he couldn't use it. And he kept saying, this, this is going to be healed. And I, I said, yeah, right, <laughs> you know. My dad became a believer right towards the end of his life. And we didn't know whether it was real or not. Uh, but it, it appeared to be a real genuine profession of faith. And I said to him one time, Dad, you know, the Lord may not heal that hand. And he said, really? You think I'm going to be like this in the resurrection? Didn't think of that one. All right. Because I was focused on the time. And I remember that. I remember that. I don't remember a lot of conversations with my dad. I remember that one. Every time Cheryl mentions Braden's healing. He heals all your diseases. No disease is going to ultimately separate us from the love of God. Wow. That's a benefit. He redeems your life from the pit. What do we deserve? We deserve condemnation. We deserve 
condemnation in the lake of fire. But he has preserved our life from that. And we will be with him for all eternity. He crowns you with loving kindness, chesed, and compassion. These words are deep and difficult to fully express. It's such a tough word that the, the English Bible people had to come up with a word to explain chesed. They could say mercy. They could say favor. They could even at times say grace, but it didn't fully cover it. So what they did is they took two words, put them together and called it loving kindness. The loving kindness of the Lord. His incredible love towards us that expresses itself in his kindness towards us is about grace, about favor, about love, about all those things. And it's compassion. This God who knows the reality of us and doesn't have an expectation of us that matches our bragging. <laughs> now, you all have had somebody tell you, yeah, I'm going to do that. And as they left, you were going, yeah, right. Because you know they're not capable or not likely, right? God doesn't go, yeah, right. Because he's filled with compassion and pity for our circumstances that we don't even know sometimes we're lying to him. Amazing. They relate, these words relate to a living mercy and a mother-like favor and care. God lavishes his mercy and his favor upon us with a focus for our good. Now, David says, he satisfies your years with good things so that your youth is restored like an eagle. I looked at this one trying to figure out why it was translated this way. And I looked at other translations as well. Uh, it, doesn't, it doesn't actually say this. But there's no other way to express it. The reality is that it brings the idea that God is going to give us the appropriate strength that we need at the time for what we're doing. Man, there's a whole sermon here. I watched my in-laws in their latter and evil days, years, and I see the Lord's strength for what they need. I see the struggle that we've had in our family and the Lord's strength is there. I see other people struggling with other and the Lord's strength is there. Now, the pity is those who won't avail themselves of the strength of the Lord because they want to hang on with their own emotional framework. And I'm dealing right now uh, with uh, a dear friend who's got a family member who is very, very, uh, uh, very ill. And there are ways to cope with this for some members of the family available to them and they know but they're not making use of it. Just not making use of it. They're riding the emotional roller coaster. They're going on the, with circumstances. They're not walking by faith and the comfort that God gives in these terrible situations. 
So he, he, he does satisfy our years at the appropriate time with the good things so that in a sense we have the same energy that a youth has when tackling things. Uh, the difference is we're a little wiser when we're, when we're older. The last statement in the benefits there is that the Lord acts by doing good and benefits those who are oppressed. Nothing gets by God. In all things, he's working good. In this life and in the world to come. And he will make all things right. Someone abuses me. I don't have to go after him. God will address it here or at the judgment. He can address it better than I can. But I have to trust him to do it. Vengeance is mine. I will repay, says the Lord. We have this belief that if we don't work it out here, then we're going to get ripped off. God is not going to rip us off. And he's not going to let things go. He's going to do what's right. The judge of the whole earth will do what's right. And trusting him means I don't, I'm not on duty. He is. Incredible. Those who get oppressed. Those who, I mean, if you think about Romans 8, what separates us from the love of God? Nothing. The only thing that can separate us from the love of God is rejecting his love, right? The circumstances don't do it. God is working in all things for good to those who love him. Now, the amazing thing about that is it's not that all things are good. We've all had circumstances in our life where we go, God can't do anything with this. This is just a disaster. He can do good even in our sin. That's not an excuse to sin. But even in our sin, he's capable of turning it to good. He certainly can handle the circumstances of life. So now we're back to verse 7. I'll move quicker with this, but I don't, that's my favorite section. I just think we need to be aware of that. Verse 7, he says... He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the sons of Israel. The Lord is compassionate and gracious, slow to anger, abounding in loving kindness. He will not always strive with us. He will not keep his anger forever. He has not dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. As high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his loving kindness towards those who fear him. As far as the east is from the west, so far he has removed our transgressions from us. Just as a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He is mindful that we are but dust. As for man, his days are like grass and the flower of the field. So he flourishes, the wind passes over it, and it's no more. And its place acknowledges it no longer. But the loving kindness of the Lord is from everlasting to, to everlasting on those who fear him. And his righteousness to children's children, to those who keep his covenants 
and remember his precepts to do them. Now, I believe what David is doing here is what I just did. He's unpacking the benefits of the Lord because he uses those words that he's just listed over and over. But now he gives it in a fresh and meaningful way. He describes how these benefits are God's very nature. They're not just stuff that God has. Oh, by the way, I got some stuff for you. Here, have some compassion, have some pity, have some loving kindness. I got plenty. We'll make more. That's not what David's saying. David's saying, this people is who God is. Now, for me, that's a revelation. I grew up believing that God was an angry old man just looking for me to screw up so he could joyfully send me to hell. And that was my attitude even as a believer until my rebellion when I thought, if it's going to go that way, let's just get it over with. And I just tried to break everything I could and then I got this God brought to my mind. He's compassionate and gracious. Slow to anger. I didn't know what that meant. My dad could go from happy to completely explosive in about a fraction of a second. Abounding in loving Kindness. This is who God is. He's not acting like this. The Lord is this way. But we can't take that for granted. And David reminds us. We don't sin that grace may abound as the apostle says. God has set a limit on how long he'll strive with us. Uh, because there is a day of, ang- of judgment. His anger is being held. Now the good news is, while God is in this mode, even when he goes after us, he's not going after us in judgment, he's going after us in love. When God stopped my rebellion, and my face went through that steering wheel, I don't believe that was the anger of God. I did then. (laughs) I now know that that was the ultimate love type. God basically said, you're done running from me because you're mine. Wow. I'm not going to let you go any further lest I have to condemn you. Slow to anger, full of loving kindness. So with this in mind, David says, he's not always going to strive. There is that, so don't, don't, Don't push that. And then he says, with that in mind, he again expresses the nature of God. He hasn't dealt with us according to our sins, nor rewarded us for our iniquities. In fact, God, David is ultimately saying what Paul will say, God demonstrated his love for us in that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Now, it's one thing if you turn and then say, okay, I'll forgive you. But he said, I'm going to take care of the forgiveness package. Have it ready while you're still in your rebellion. 
That demonstrates the love of God. His mercy and favor as high as the heaven is above the earth. If you leave the earth and head out, how far can you go? We have no idea. Space is expanding. That's how far God's loving kindness is stacked in your favor. East to west. Separate those. That's how far our sins have been removed. These are great visual aids. God's loving kindness is somewhere beyond the stars in its height. On the other side of the sun and the moon is the separation of my sins. Be worth going out there and looking at that once in a while. Practicing the presence of God. His compassion towards us is like a loving father who knows the child well. God knows that we are breathing dust. He made us. He knows our limits. He knows our brief lifespan. He knows we are subject to death. But his mercy and loving kindness and favor is eternal and with those who fear him. And he continues from generation to generation of those who keep his covenant and remember his precepts to do it. Teach your children. Teach your children. So, we'll pick it up at verse 19. The Lord has established his throne in the heavens, and his sovereignty rules over all. Bless the Lord, you his angels, mighty in strength, who perform his word, obeying the voice of his word. Bless the Lord, O you his hosts, you who serve him, doing his will. Bless the Lord, you works of his, in all the places of his dominion. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Okay, so David's talked to himself. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me, bless his holy name. Don't forget his benefits. And think about the depth of his benefits. Wow! Then he says, okay, y'all, join me in this blessing. Add your voice to mine. For the Lord has established his throne and his kingship over the entire creation. There is no, no God zone. So powerful angels, cherubim and seraphim, who do God's will and obey his voice, you should bless the Lord. By the way, they do. Isaiah sees the angels crying out, holy, holy, holy. John sees in heaven the angels, the mighty ones standing before God, whose voice makes the earth shake, and they are praising God as well. David says, keep it up. You hosts of heaven who act in obedience to God's will, you bless the world, the Lord. The angels who are looking down on us trying to figure out who God is. Seeing us as the stage play of God's mercy and his righteousness and his judgment. Who walk down that ladder and come into the earth and watch these things close. And some of us may have even entertained them unaware. Those angels that are watching for that. All of those. David says, you guys, you need to stop and praise the Lord. 
And then he says, if you're created by God, that pretty much includes all of us, right? Any place where God is king, where can you go that God's not king, right? You should bless the Lord as well. And so he concludes as he began, bless the Lord, O my soul. Now, I'm going to suggest that you start your day and end your day with those words. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Putting our mind on the Lord. This week and at all times, we should be thankful and bless the Lord. Because this will overcome secularism, that is no God's own myth. And it practices the presence of God. And it should be our life pattern. And it should be something that we teach to our children and to our converts. And it's become more real to me as I understood the blessing that Israel does in almost everything. Baruch atah Adonai Eloheinu melech haolam. Blessed are you, O Lord our God, King of the universe. Who, and then fill in the blank. And they do that. They count his benefits and they count his blessings and they count his actions when they say that. And those words should be coming out of our mouths a lot more than just when we're here and at the Thanksgiving table. So I'm hoping that this new church calendar year will be a year where As James says, with these lips we bless God. And we don't do what James says, with these lips we curse men. There's enough of that going on on Facebook right now. Maybe what we need to do is be the first part of that. Blessing the Lord for all that he's done. Maybe, just maybe, it will be contagious. Let's pray. Father, you earn...